Thank you, Pastor Matt. Hey, welcome to First Assembly of God. So glad you're able to join us on this stormy Sunday. Man, the weather's just been crazy, hasn't it? But uh, glad you're here. Glad for those who are home today joining us online. Welcome. I am so excited for next Sunday as we kick off our summer series. I'm very, very excited to hear what God is doing in the life of our staff members. Uh, when Pastor Emily uh, was praying, I, I was reminded as she prayed for Spain and um, media. Do you, I just found out this week in New Jersey, in Assembly of God churches, which is about 200, there are more media pastors than children's pastors. Think about that. Media has become such a great need. There are only five full-time paid children's pastors. And we are so fortunate to be able to... And I, I told the director down in, in our network office, we, we need to... You know, God bless media and, and outreach online, but I'm telling you what, we need to reach the children. And what a great week we had this past week. I had a blast five nights in a row with the children of our church. I'm telling you, man, they, they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And we need to invest in the lives of our children and the lives of our young people. Had such an awesome, awesome time. I, uh, today is kind of like a preview of what God has been doing in my life leading up to the summer months. Back in June, I, I read this book, All of Grace, by... Um, Spurgeon. In fact, it was D.L. Moody's first book he selected to publish in 1894. Uh, and as a result of reading this in June, as I've been going through the New Testament, I've been looking for grace encounters. Grace encounters. And I'm going to, for my time through the summer, I'm, I'm going to talk about grace encounters, where we, in God's word, encounter God's grace. And I'm so excited because I just picked up a book by R.T. Kendall, Grace, that I'm going to read on vacation. You can't, you don't deserve it. How I many, you don't deserve God's grace. You can't buy it, but you can't live without it. And the title of my message this morning is Amazing grace. What's so amazing about grace? Well, listen to how Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary defines grace. Grace, favor or kindness, shown without regard to the worth or the merit of one who receives it. And in spite of what the same person deserves. What's so amazing about God's grace is God gives to others what we would never give to them. Because we give based upon merit, upon worth, whether they deserve it. God gives his favor to all regardless of worth, merit, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. That is what's so amazing about God's grace. And all of us have been recipients of his grace, haven't we? Now, I want to share with you today a parable. What's a parable? A parable is 
I call a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. And I'm also reminded that when Jesus spoke about parables, he gave them not so much as to how we're to live, but to remind us of who God is. So as we read parables, it's a reminder to us of who God is. A lot of parables begin, for the kingdom of heaven is like, and it shows something about God's character. I'm going to share with you a parable that I have, you don't hear many sermons on. In fact, I, I can't even remember the last time I heard a sermon on this parable. In fact, I have never preached on this sermon before. I've used it as an illustration. But reading this parable from the eyes of grace encounters, I want to share with you what God just kind of like downloaded in my spirit concerning God's grace. Now, the reason we don't talk about this parable much is because it strikes our heart at the very core. Because we always want what's fair and what's just. And this parable strikes at the very core of justice and fairness. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to do something a little different. Instead of having you stand to read God's word and read the whole parable, I'm going to break it off into sections, and I want us to read it together out loud, and then I'm just going to make some observations and some comments, and then when we're through the parable, I want to give you the applications of how it applies to our life. In fact, this is a great way, a great reminder of how to study God's word. You read a passage of scripture... You make observations, you try to interpret what it's saying, and then at the end, what is it saying to me? So are we ready? Here we go. What is the parable? It's the parable of the vineyard workers. Let's read it together. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire some men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyards. Now, this is a very typical scene back then in the times of the Bible. In fact, it's a very typical scene in our culture today in the last 15 to 20 years uh, of, of day workers gathering in a market yard or on a street corner looking to be hired for the day. People with not a lot of skill set, but people who are willing to do whatever they can because they're unemployed and, and they're looking for an honest day's work to be paid, day laborers. But here we see them going out into the vineyard. It's this time of the year for the harvest of the grapes in Palestine. And it's noted that it could be close to 100 degrees. So can you imagine doing the medial tasks of harvesting grapes along a hillside in 100-degree weather. And what did he agree? He agreed to pay them a denarius worth of wage. Now, I read that a denarius is what Roman soldiers would get for the day. So it was a fair pay. It wasn't executive pay. It wasn't minimal wage. But it's what the average Roman soldier would get. So these day laborers knew that, hey, this is a, a good deal to work and get 
a fair day's wage of working in the vineyard. Now, this landowner obviously had a very big vineyard because this is what we read next. Come on, let's read it. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing around in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went and he went out again about the sixth hour and the nine hour and did the same thing. About the 11th hour, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, what's kind of interesting here is this landowner must have had a good reputation because these workers don't even ask for a contract. They're not even asking what they're going to get paid. They just have trust in this landowner that he will be right and fair and just. Now, what you have to understand about the culture back then is the workday began at 6 in the morning. So the first group went out at 6 in the morning. And they were going to work until 6 at night and get a denarius worth of wage. So the third hour would be 6, 7, 8, 9 o'clock. So he went out at 9 o'clock and got some others to work. He went out also in the 6th hour, which would be 12 noon and got some workers. He went out in the ninth hour, which would be 3 o'clock and got some workers. But now here's where the story takes a little twist. The 11th hour would be five at night when you're just about what? Settling down, ready to go home, waiting around to punch out. Remember how I used to, I used to work at the AMP? I mean, I used to quit 10 minutes beforehand waiting for the you know, clock to punch out. And when it says he still found others standing around, we may interpret that, well, they were lazy. No, they were not lazy. They were just unemployed. So we see this landowner not only has an interest in his vineyard, but he has an interest in those who were unemployed. That's a key there. Think about this. One hour before quitting time, here come some more men into the vineyard to pick some grapes. What does it say next? Come on. When evening came, read it, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going to the first. Oh, boy. Whatever happened to first come, first serve. If you've been working since 6 o'clock in the morning, what's on your mind? Take the money and run. I just want to get out of here. Come on. And who is treated first? Those who came in at 5 o'clock. Those who came in the very last hour, they're getting paid first while you have to hang around for all those from 5 o'clock, from 3 o'clock, from 12 to 9, while all of them are getting paid. Even though you were the first, now you are the last. 
How many know this story? Oh, it gets real interesting. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, five, came and each received a denarius. Each received that which a Roman soldier would get. I understand day laborers today, maybe $20 an hour. You know, it used to be $100 a day. Now it's anywhere from $150 to $200 a day, and you got to provide them lunch. So these guys only worked one hour and went home with, let's say, $150. So when it came to those who were hired first, what's your only, re- come on, what's your first reaction? We've been working since 6 in the morning. We've been going 12 hours. If those who have only worked one hour are getting $150, what are you thinking? You have been out in the field since 6 o'clock in the morning. You're just kind of like, whoa, man, we are going to make a bundle. I love this owner. But each one of them also received a denarius. See, when I said it strikes at our heart against fairness and what's just. When they received it, how many can identify with them? Be honest. Yeah, thank you, Phil, for your honesty. (laughs) Yeah. They began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. Oh, and here's the key. And you have made them equal with us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day, confirming hot, boring heat of the day. But the landowner, Boy, he has a stinging closing argument. But he answered one of them. Come on, let's say it. Friend, am I not being fair with you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the men who were hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious Because I am generous. Do you see the problem? The problem was not so much in the fairness, but in the generosity. And he closes out the story. So the last will be first, and the first will be last You know what God's saying? God is saying, in the kingdom of God, I don't show partiality. I don't have favorites. I treat all like. But if you've been working since six in the morning, aren't you a little angry? So I looked at this and I I know it's a, Man, I am the six o'clock worker who would gripe and complain. Not fair. Unjust. Don't ever ask me to work for you again. 
And I'm hearing that echoed all throughout looking at your expressions. So I said, Lord, what, what is it that you're saying through this grace encounter? Because you, God, our Father, represents the landowner. Well, this is the first thing I thought of. Grace reminds me that God's favor is a gift. God's favor is a gift. What was the real problem? It's not the injustice of a mean and cruel landowner. The problem was the scandalous grace of this loving farmer. He, he, the landowner basically nails it right. Are you envious? Are you jealous that I'm generous? And what I'm reminded of is many of us identify with the farmers, uh, the workers who were hired at six. Sometimes we take God's grace for granted, thinking that we have merited we have earned, we have a right to the grace he gives us. John MacArthur in his New Testament commentary says this, the charge on unfairness was not grounded in a love for justice, but in the selfish assumption that the extra pay they wanted was pay they deserved. You know, we have a word for that today, entitlement. The workers from 6 in the morning felt they were entitled to more because they had done more. They had worked longer. They labored harder. They expected to receive more. We need to be careful because there's many of us have, who have served the years for, who've served the Lord for years. And we give of our tithe. And we give of our talents. And we give in volunteering. And we're here Sunday after Sunday on time to worship. And after a while, we develop the attitude of the early workers who expect more and may we never take God's grace for granted, thinking that we've earned it. You know, I've heard an individual one time say, You know, I have served the Lord so long, I've given so much, I have been so faithful that He had a premeditated sin that He was about going to encounter. And I just know God will forgive me because all these years I've been. Do you know what I'm saying? We can't justify sin that God's just going to forgive us because we've earned it. God's grace is a gift. God's unmerited favor. And may God help us when we start taking for granted his grace. God's favor is a gift. And here's true truths that will transform you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And like a gift, 
The only thing that we can do with grace is receive it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's not by merit. And how do I know those two things transform a person's life? Because when you really get a grasp of that truth, you realize that there is such a God who loves you so much. Why in the world would you want to do anything that breaks his heart? Because of his great love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now this next thing is something, man, I, I missed. Grace keeps us from looking down on ourselves. You also go and work in my vineyard. Pastor Matt, you mentioned it a couple weeks ago that sometimes we struggle as pastors. We struggle with feelings of incompetence. You know, I, I, I sometimes call myself the bad pastor, and I'm not looking for sympathy. Please, I'm not looking for sympathy. But when you go to, like, network council, or you go to minister school, or you go to seminars, and you hear these speakers of everything they're doing in their church, and, and all these different programs, and you come home thinking, man, I'm a bad pastor. It, it's only, you, anybody ever struggle with feelings of incompetence? Yeah, yeah, you just don't feel like you can live up to what you're doing. Thank you for your honesty, I'm incompetent. And usually the people who are, are, are struggle with that are probably the most competent people, but we don't feel like we're competent because, yeah. Well, anyway. Or have you ever struggled with discontentment? Just not content. Oh, man, I wish I had a so-called greater gift. I wish I had a better ministry. You know, or, or how about this? Have you ever felt inferior to someone else in the church? Someone less important? Man, I just don't live up to his standard. He, he's always so, I, so inferior. And this is what I missed. Think about these guys who were standing around at the marketplace. And when the landowner came at 9 o'clock and took some, they were left out. And when the landowner came back at 12, they were left out. And when the landowner came back at 3, they were... Can you imagine standing there all day being left out? Not good enough. Coming to the realization, well, this is going to be a wasted day. Man, at the prime time of the harvest, I'm not even getting picked. I'm just going to go home, and, and it's going to be a lost cause. No, no money for this day. Just chalk it up for a loss. These guys who stood around doing nothing, not because they were lazy, but because they just weren't picked. Can we go back to elementary school for a moment? I grew up in an elementary school that had no gymnasium. We didn't have gym. We had recess. And when we went out for recess, it was always kickball. And the teacher would say, okay, everybody line up against the fence. They would pick two captains. And I'm telling you, I can always tell you who the last two that were going to get picked 
Wade Sheffer and Susie Snyder. How many, how many were, how many are bold enough to say, that's me, pastor, I was always the last one picked. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. So you can identify with these guys just hanging around. I was picking up some bagels yesterday and this lady walks in and with this baseball shirt, big baseball, my son is in the field. And then on her back was the name and probably her son's number. My son is in the field. I saw it and I looked at it and I thought, man, I would like to make up a shirt saying, my son sits on the bench. <laughs> because that's these guys. These were bench sitters. They were overlooked. They were missed. You picked the strongest, the best. But here is a landowner. And what? This is what came to the conclusion in this grace encounter. This parable shows the Lord's passion for the forgotten. That's what it shows. God's passion for those who are forgotten. And really, it represents all of us. Those workers who were chosen at 5 o'clock. It represents each and every one of us when you think about it. What did we have to offer to the Lord? He doesn't need our intellect. He doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our, new, our good deeds. And let our confidence and joy in this life be based upon not what we have or not what we have, what we do or not what we have, but on rather let our confidence and joy be based upon who we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. A loving landowner who has a passion for the forgotten. Grace makes us equal to everyone. What was their complaint? It fascinates me. You have made us equal. They're not complaining about the wage. Because they had a contract, and it was a good wage. It's not the wage they were upset about. It was, you have made us equal, and we want to be superior. And when it says they grumbled, it's in the imperfect tense, which means they didn't grumble once, but they kept on grumbling. This is not right. This is not fair. We, we, should, be showing, we should be getting better treatment. We, we gave you 12 hours. Look at our shirts. We can wring the sweat out. Look at their shirts. There's not a drop of sweat. And come on, aren't we better? And in God's eyes, there's no great and there's no small. There's no one who is worthy and one who is not worthy. We're all equal. How did it start to happen? How did it start to happen? We got 150, they got 150. 
We've worked 12 hours. They worked one hour. What were they doing? It all starts when we start comparing one another. Which led to coveting. How come we're being treated like them and we deserve more? We want to be superior. We look longer. We deserve more. Coveting. As a result, that led to complaining, grumbling, which led to criticizing. Oh, and then all of a sudden it was like boom, 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 boom. When you're critical, when you're complaining, when you're coveting, stop comparing. In the end, when we stand before God, think about this. It's not going to be the preachers, the day workers, the blue collars, and the white collars. It's not that. It's all one. And all that's going to matter is if your name is found in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's all that matters. And how do you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? It's not because of everything you have done. It's not because your good deeds outweighed your bad deeds. You get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, not because you're a preacher or you're a day laborer or you're an executive. Or it, you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life based upon one decision. And that one decision is, what do you do with Jesus? Do you accept him or do you reject him? And if you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. People from all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all nationalities, all different works of life, all based upon what you did with Jesus. He ends it. God, aren't you glad for fresh starts? Aren't you glad for do-overs? Aren't you glad for the reset button? That's what God's grace is. So the last will be first and the first will be last. And then all of a sudden, I saw how chapter 19 ended. 19, verse 30, and sorry for the quotes that should be, yeah, anyway. The very last verse of chapter 19 says, but the many who are first will be last, and the many who are last will be first. And then he goes in and tells a parable. Remember chapters and verses came later? So the parable starts off with the first shall be last and it ends with the last shall be first. You know what God is saying? It doesn't make any difference. There is no first. There is no last. There is no greater. There is no smaller. We are all treated equally because God's grace is given to all. And aren't you glad that when you do mess up, and you do fail. God's there to pick us up and say, hey man, let's start over. 
I'm sure as I look out there, there's many of us who have done things in our past that we would not even want to make public. But aren't you glad for the grace of God who covers our sins and gives us a fresh new start?